Like you, I spend a lot of time waiting. I wait at traffic lights before I cross the street. I wait for a taxi to take me to the airport so I can wait for the go-ahead to board the plane. And then I wait on the runway, waiting for takeoff, which leads me to waiting for my luggage at the carousel. I wait for my next paycheck. I wait for my turn in the bathroom. I wait for my family as I stand at the open door ready to leave. I wait for the elevator. Oh my, do I wait for the elevator. I wait for people to arrive. and Sometimes I can hardly wait till they leave. One day I waited to be married and then I waited for the relationship to mature into something that I hoped it might become. I waited for children. I waited until my son and daughter spoke their first words, until they were out of diapers, until they started school. I seemed always to be waiting for them to pass into the next stage of maturation. Thinking back to my own childhood, I remember I could hardly wait for junior high to begin, and then senior high, and then college. I waited for summer vacation. I waited for my father to come home from work. I'm not alone in my waiting, of course. It's a very significant part of all of our lives. Sometimes we're painfully aware of our waiting, and other times it occurs unnoticed. Though it consumes much of our days, we mostly don't like to wait. Conscious and thoughtful waiting is foreign to those accustomed to moving in the fast lane. Waiting seems mm, sort of unnatural, an enemy of progress and success. Knowing how to wait is, at best, an uncommon trait, I think. We hunger for immediate satisfaction. The idea of delayed gratification is a stranger to our thinking. Waiting is difficult for 21st century people. Today's credo is efficiency and fast delivery and instant satisfaction and immediate payoff. We become ill, we want to be made well now and not later. Medications and physicians and pastoral care, even love, are often rejected if they are not swift and immediately potent. Waiting is a large part of each day for every person. Calling. Calling a friend takes too much time, so we text because the distance between sending and receiving is minimized to a nanosecond. We wait for the groceries to be delivered. We wait for a friend to stop by. We wait for the right person to enter our lives or to magically appear on OkCupid. At the hospital, we pace in front of a swinging door marked surgery. We wait for what is not yet. Living and waiting go hand in hand. A friend discovered she had colon cancer. An operation removed the malignancy, but the doctors were not certain. 
She must endure months, perhaps years, of chemotherapy. She must be tested and retested. She must wait. We wait for peace. The world watches and waits as Syria continues its violent disintegration. Israelis and Palestinians wait for the emergence of a credible plan for permanent peace. We wait for the next provocation from North Korea and our president's response. We wait to see what the new tax plan will bring. We wait for the market to rise or to fall. We wait for interest rates to go up or down. We wait for a new job or a promotion or a raise. Should we buy the new car or apartment? Will the bonus be big enough? Will I have enough money to put my kids through college, to have a decent life in retirement? And, and we wait and we see. Waiting is like living in the meantime. It is like knowing, yet not knowing. Living in the present for a future outcome. How we wait, how we live in the meantime, actually matters quite a lot since waiting is where we spend many hours of many days. If we agree that waiting in one way or another consumes much of our time, doesn't it stand to reason that waiting itself demands our attention? The meantime is, in fact, friends, all we ever really have at any given moment. All we really have is now today. That's it, really. Over the years, I've noticed that God's time is very different from my time. Often I'll say, you know, I don't like to wait. God, on the other hand, seems rather taken with it. <laughs> Evidently, waiting, living in the meantime, is the sacred and appropriate place for us. It is where we live day in and day out. The word Advent comes from the Latin word advenire, to come to, to come to. Advent's message is that God is coming to the world. We say that God did come in a squealing, slippery package one night 2,000 years ago, this babe in a manger was a fulfillment of sacred promise, but the fulfillment seems quite ordinary on the face of it, really. A child born out of wedlock to a poor young woman in a stable, no less. God's fulfillment looks very much like life as we know it, which should teach us something very important, I think. God's coming is also a present experience. If it were not so, Christmas would have little meaning at all beyond the simple marking of a date in honor of a dead hero, and not much of a hero at that. After the grown man died, his disciples waited in confusion and fear for the future to carry them into a safer place. Instead, they discovered that God's time had been upon them all along, and their waiting had actually been part of God's project. 
This season of preparation is a time of sacred waiting for us. How we wait bears some consideration. Living in the meantime doesn't mean there is nothing to be done. As I mentioned last week, 500 years before the birth of Christ, Jerusalem was overthrown and the people were carted off to a foreign country. They waited many generations before returning to their homeland. Isaiah speaks of their hopeful longing while they wait. John read it well. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and they shall build up the ancient ruins, and they shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, for I, the Lord, love justice. And centuries later, Jesus identified himself with this text as he began his ministry. He quoted these words as a way to explain his purpose. And you will note that in their time of waiting for God's fulfillment, the people shall become oaks of righteousness, and they will restore the former devastations because God loves justice. Evidently, the people have no small role to play in God's plan. Well, as I sat with that this week, it occurred to me that that's quite a significant agenda, growing into an oak of righteousness. That's a very powerful image. Let it seep into your mind and heart for just a moment. Oak of righteousness. After the nine o'clock service this morning, an older man came to say to me, you know, Steve, I always have a problem with the word righteous. Because I think of it being self-righteous. And of course, That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something else, not self-righteous, but a righteousness that reflects, as Isaiah says, God's justice and love. Let that seep into your heart and mind. That is our work while living in the meantime. Becoming a forest of oaks of righteousness. You know, a mighty oak tree begins as an acorn, food for a squirrel. But taking root over many years, in the meantime, it grows into its glory. We could say that while the acorn waits for the wonderful outcome, a challenging life filled with threats of drought and storm and fire happens in the meantime. Yet the sapling endures and thrives. 
That is the nature of the years of its life, from acorn to tree, from promise to fulfillment. As we wait for peace, as we long for justice, is there nothing to be done in the meantime? What does it mean to grow into an oak of righteousness after all? What would that look like in your life? What does God's justice require of us? Could our nation benefit from oaks of righteousness? When I use that phrase, does it not strike you how bereft our world is of oaks of righteousness standing stall and secure in our nation? Doesn't contemplating becoming an oak of righteousness actually dignify your humanity of who you are and what you're about and what just might be possible? Do you feel it? Do you feel if, if you take on that title, oak of righteousness, it dignifying your life and your humanity? If I long to be reconciled with someone, is there nothing I must do as I wait? Is waiting a passive, disengaged posture or perhaps an impatient, angry state? If it is, and if waiting fills our days, then most of us, much of the time, must go through life either rather passive and disengaged or impatient and angry. In that case, waiting is closer to whining than to hope, for hope is the most creative form of waiting there is. Becoming an oak of righteousness is pregnant with hope. Hopeful expectancy. That's what Advent is about. God is coming. That is the strange off-the-wall proclamation that we make. God, God is coming. God, some preparation is in order. Our lives have this deep yearning, this deep desire for healing and wholeness and for light and joy and for courage and strength, for love and forgiveness. The things that define the life of an oak of righteousness, those are the things that define it. Those things would be worth waiting for, wouldn't they? that I bet we'd wait for a very long time for those things to come along, and in our waiting would we, we would be surprisingly productive. Advent is a time to honor God's time, which is to say, today. We're meant to honor today as a holy and sacred gift pregnant with possibility to really see it and live it for what it is. And while we wait in hopeful expectation, there's work to be done. There are things to be done in the meantime, today. Today. Today.